I'm standing here on <laughs> on this street. What street are we on? Mersfield Gardens. Mersfield Gardens. Mersfield. Oh, sorry. Like nightmare. Mares, nightmares field yeah. um, with my friend Annie McGrath you grew up on the street yeah we're standing outside the flat that I lived in from the age of two till nine and a half that's so weird I'm feeling very weird and nostalgic and I facetimed my mum before we met up and uh, showed her where I was and Mary she was Mary, Mary Mersfield Gardens Mary my mum shout out and uh, she said that she put that gate in that's still there and she put those bars across the window no way Making it sound like we lived in prison. We're here really officially because we're going to go to a museum. Yeah, the Freud Museum. <laughs> we're going to catch up in a museum. Yeah, which is a stone's throw from my childhood. Did, but you home. never went? I never went. No. Maybe it's not good for two year olds, though. Yeah, my mum said it's much to my shame that I never took you, but I kind of think it would be quite a weird museum to take a two year old yeah. or a seven year old. Well, a we'll see. It might have like a, an interactive, like a the Oedipus slide yeah. or something. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Hello, I'm comedian Mae Martin. I'm comedian Annie McGrath. And this is Meet, Meet Me at, at the Museum. Museum. Um, all right, should we walk along? Yeah. I quite want to go into the old flat and uh, have a look around, but I think that's maybe... I went. I was just in Toronto visiting um, my parents and I went yeah. to a flat that I lived in in my teens did and you I, go inside? I went at night and I stood in the garden like a creepy Yeah, I think that's creep. illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. And I looked into the window and I saw someone sleeping in my old bedroom. And I was, and and then I was like, like, get out. <laughs> get out. Then I was like, I'm just standing watching someone sleep. Yeah, man. My heart that was racing. terrifying. I know. Right, we're outside the museum. Oh, here we are. <laughs> so he lived in this house? We're yeah. looking at the facade? Oh, they got the blue plaques. Love a blue Sigmund. plaque. Sigmund. I'm glad to see that Anna has a plaque as well. Yeah, Sigmund and Anna Freud. His daughter? His daughter. I don't know much about her, but um, hopefully that's all going to change. I know, isn't that messed up? Because she was good too. Yeah, but that's history, isn't it? We just... uh, Am I right? Revere the men and not the women. (laughs) Do you think he actually saw patients in here? Like, Yeah. I have a lot of questions for whoever works in this place, because... Like, wasn't he always on coke? And yeah, he had a he, coke problem? I think he tried to use it for, like, medicinal purposes oh and God. then obviously realised it didn't work Yeah, in yeah. that way. We're heading in. I, I, I feel quite um, nervous to go into his house. I know. I hope they have a gift shop and a, a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi, are you... Are you Freud? Are you Freud? <laughs> Hello, hi. Welcome to the Freud Museum. Thank you, thank okay. you. Okay, would Freud you like Hammond. to go and get your tickets in the shop, please? Right, should we go get our tickets? So there's this big... Um, we're walking through, like, a atrium? Yeah. Oh, right in the atrium they have his coat. And his umbrella. And his umbrella. <laughs> and his shoes. Actually, Actually, that really is quite evocative, seeing his actual coat. I've seen so many photos of him. Yeah, it's also quite a kind of hipstery jacket, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, someone in Shoreditch wearing that. He looked, like, quite small. He was maybe a small man. But then look at his boots. Big feet. Tiny little glasses. Little round, like, what do you call those? Pince-nez? I've never said pince-nez. Pince-nez? How do you... I don't know what you're trying to say. You know those glasses that sit on your nose? Um, oh yeah, without the yeah handle handlebars. <laughs> Legs. We got his wedding ring here. There's just like a cabinet of personal items, but it, it yeah. does it, it really brings the man to life. 
They have him, uh, the menu of his, um, his wedding. He had very bad handwriting, hasn't he? Well, quite nice, like, Italic-y writing, but incredibly difficult to read. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It says that he wore this coat um, when he came from Vienna to London in 1938, oh. right before the war. I've also just noticed he's got a lock of his wife's hair. Do you like that? No, I think it's a bit creepy. <laughs> what do you think? I, li- I like that they that he loved her that much, but yeah, it's a bit it's a bit creepy. I just wouldn't want to carry someone else's hair. I like, would you carry a lock of my hair? Yeah, I would. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, but, but mostly as like a talking point. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so so people, you could freak me out. Yeah, and people would think I was quirky or something. But I can picture him wearing this coat on the boat with his weird mustache, smoking, yeah. smoking a pipe. His little glasses. Gazing out at the water. <laughs> so we're looking at his guest book now. So he apparently made people sign in or sign out of his house every time they visited. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Salvador Dali. The Salvador Dali. The one and only. That's oh, so my God. cool. Imagine your doorbell rings and it's that guy. Yeah. Our uh, producer just told us that Salvador Dali was like a massive fanboy of Sigmund <laughs> Freud. Is- yeah, and Freud just didn't care. Didn't give like, a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He must have, so I guess he, Freud was famous in his lifetime. Like, he was, he, what he said went in yeah, his it's, life. It's weird to think of Dali, like, really sucking up to Freud. Yeah. And Freud just not being interested at all. <laughs> right, do we need to get our tickets? Yeah, we, we still haven't got our tickets. What we're doing is illegal. We don't have tickets. Oh, God. Okay, let's get our tickets. <laughs> oh, hello, Freud. Hello, <laughs> Hi. 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 How's it going? We'd like to buy tickets, please. Um, and we have a national art pass. Great. That's half off the adult price. Whoa. Great. 50%. That's awesome. We can Thank spend you. the rest in the gift shop. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to buy a lot of stuff. Is that two tickets? Yeah, please. Yeah, great. Adults. Thanks. You might not be able to tell that we're adults because Annie is tiny and I look I'm like a small 29. <laughs> I'm 32. Do you need to see ID? Uh, I, I believe you. I trust oh, you. Thank you. That's £4.50 each, so £9 in total. Great. Should we go in? Let's do it. Yeah. I'm excited just to have a recording of our voices because I'm, I'm, I'm really into your voice. You, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You always do an impression of my voice that is... Hi, Manny McGrath. Yeah, Hello. That Hi, May. <laughs> I always remember that you were the first person, friend that I made in England who rang me just to chat. Oh. There was one day that you rang me and just like, hello, May. <laughs> How like, are you? And I was like, what, what's happening? Like, who is this Nobody old rings... British man? Yeah. But people don't ring each other to chat. Like, that's such a no. nice thing to do. So I liked that. I don't think, I think I do that less and less. I, I never do that now. I thought we were going to get our nails done, but actually you've taken me to the Freud Museum. I so know. That I mean... was my fiendish plan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm excited because obviously I live down the road. This feels quite an uncanny choice of place to take me yeah that is a weird a weird coincidence and it's very nice to see you thank you nice (laughs) to see you too you know that I was engaged at one time I think I met you in Edinburgh 2012 when you were in the process of breaking up with your fiance yeah uh she was a an infant mental health specialist and like a child psychologist I want to say wow I should have paid attention more when she was talking yeah was that part of the problem that was part of the problem I couldn't get her job right but she um she was obsessed with Anna Freud okay and talked about her a lot and really um, you should have brought her here I should have brought I mean what do you know about Freud top of my head Oedipus complex so all boys want to have sex with their mums yeah and then all girls want to have sex with their dads yeah 
Electro complex. Yeah, electro complex. I like because he gets criticized Freud now. Like looking back, people are like he was sexist or he was very like male focused in his yeah, views because he had the um, the penis envy theory that all girls are jealous of their dad's penises. Yeah, peni, which I kind of relate to. Yeah, are you jealous of your dad's? I wouldn't penis? mind having one for like a, for a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it would be interesting. Yeah. I always, when I was little, I always used to want to wee like a boy. Yeah, same. And I was really jealous. Same. That girls couldn't wee standing up. Later on, we're going to speak to experts. Yeah, um, why are we asking each yeah, other why these are questions? We, asking, we know nothing. <laughs> we know nothing. We're going to talk to a Freud expert and then also an Anna Freud expert. Oh, great. Yeah, and I'm into, I'm into Anna Freud. It's weird that this house is like, they've quite recently lived here. Yeah, she died in the early 1980s, I think. Yeah, and he was here in, yeah, 1939 or something. Yeah. But that's crazy. So we know quite a lot about Freud, the man. Yeah. But Anna Freud, I I feel guilty. I know barely anything about her. And she lived in this house for something like 40 years. Yeah. And he was only here for one year. Yeah, I know. I want to find out more about her today. Because yeah. um, I think she was a total ledge, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I think she was maybe the first person to talk about attachment theory and that kind of oh, thing. Right. Her, her focus was on children. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I love all that because I like to blame my parents for everything yeah it's useful to have someone else to blame yeah totally yeah should we explore the house yeah let's explore the house should we say our catchphrase first analyze Analyze that that. (laughs) so i I can feel behind me his studies there but we're gonna save that for later i really want to go in i know i'm nervous about being in there i'm scared yeah what if we unleash our subconscious and we don't like what we find Part of me is expecting them to be here. Yeah, same. Well, it feels like a living house. Yeah. It totally feels like they could, like they just left the room. Like we're going to find his old pipe and a line of coke. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go to Anna's room first? Yeah, let's go right, to Anna's. Let's go upstairs. Hello. 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 Hello, Anna. Hello. I can see her bed. Oh, my God. Okay, we're in her room. It's quite small, isn't it? I don't think that's her bed, any. I think that's her what couch where she would see patients. Oh, we apologise for the appearance of Anna Freud's couch. It's undergoing conservation work. Oh, I see. <laughs> that's okay. why it's covered in a kind of grey blanket. Oh my God, look at this. Okay, it says, To hear short recordings of Anna Freud talking about psychoanalysis, <laughs> lift handset on the telephone and dial an even number for trends in psychoanalytic work and an odd number for factors that determine normality or pathology. Oh what do you gosh. want to hear? It's like an old rotary phone. Uh, even number. Trends in psychoanalytic work. Okay, should I do it? Yeah, do it. Imagine she says, hi, May. Individual personality maturing at approximately the same rate of speed. None of them being either delayed or precocious that was so cool yeah do you think she used to prank call people on that phone yeah definitely her dad yeah prank call her dad (laughs) hello this is the super ego (laughs) um anna anna the door just opened we thought it was anna i do feel like i'm snooping around her um, so do i yeah feels a bit intrusive yeah voyeuristic but then you did say that you stood in someone's garden oh yeah and watching them sleep i can't believe i admitted to that just then it's it was really weird i was on my own it was about one in the morning oh yeah can can we just can i retell the story (laughs) it did sound weird my heart was pounding 
Mm. And I, but but I did you find it quite thrilling? So as well? thrilling and exhilarating. And I guess I was trying to make sense of that time in my life where I was living in this basement apartment with some older guy and I was like 16. And so I was just trying to, I was like, what was that about? And then I went and stood there and was like picturing myself. That, it was weird. How narcissistic. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things to unpick in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we've got time. No, we don't have time. I guess, should I lie down on that sofa? And, yeah, I mean, are we allowed? In Anna's room? Probably not. Maybe, do you think the if we ask really nicely, though, they'll let us go on Freud's couch? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm, let's ask. Like, you could do with some time on that I could. Couch. I really could. <laughs> so, Annie, we're going to find out a bit more about Anna from oh one of the curators. <gasps> At the museum. That's so cool. Here she comes now. Hi, I'm Bryony Davies. I'm the assistant curator here at the museum. Hi, cool. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We've probably been saying all kinds of factually incorrect and terrible things. <laughs> How long have you worked here? I've been here almost 10 years now. Oh, wow. So, yeah, about nine and a half years. So I'm um, quite familiar with the collection and the archive. Then through being here for so long, I've learned a lot about Freud, about the family, yeah. um, Freudian theories, everything like that. So um, it's been a learning journey as well. Oh, that's amazing. We were saying we're, we feel guilty that we don't know much about Anna. Mm. Um, but I've been talking a lot about my ex-fiance. Who, oh, okay. Was, she, she was really into Anna Freud. And yeah. she, I think, went to the Anna Freud Centre here. Yes, in yeah. London. That um, has actually just moved to King's Cross now, but it oh. used to be just two buildings along the same street. Okay. So when Anna Freud um, first moved here in 1938, almost straight away she left a nursery that she'd set up in Vienna, and then obviously because they had to flee Vienna to come to London, she set up the um, Hampstead War Nurseries on this street as well. So that dealt with a lot of the children that were displaced from the Blitz and uh, needed care and needed support because they weren't in normal family units. They were kind of obviously um, not able to stay in their homes. And there was another one out in Essex as well. Were people resistant to the idea that children had a subconscious life and and could be psychoanalyzed like was that pretty shocking at the time yeah it's an interesting question she wasn't the first person to ever work with children in a psychoanalytic context there had been some people before but she was the first person to really kind of systematize it and and work with children in a way that was totally different from psychoanalysis as an adult who you know someone as an adult might decide to go into therapy and do all that children is obviously it's different so she wouldn't have them laying on the couch like we think of that kind of view of psychoanalysis she it would be much more experiential which is play therapy yeah exactly and we kind of take that for granted now that that's how you work with children in a therapeutic setting but she Mm -hmm. was the first person to really do that to sit down on the carpet with them or to have crayons and and pencils and things like that yeah and not do it in a in an adult way that just happened to be a child right 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 and were there many women before her who had done that or was it quite kind of revolutionary in a way that she was a woman doing that kind of Um, job it's it's funny because um, Freud himself didn't particularly focus on educating his daughters, you know, like encourage them to university or anything like that. But he was very welcoming to women in psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the mm-hmm. early psychoanalysts were women who were real pioneers of the field. And they, I mean, I'm sure they probably experienced some <laughs> sexism back in the early 20th century. Yeah. But in the field of psychoanalysis, they were very much encouraged to go out and experience things and write and publish oh, and wow. give lectures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, was she gay? This is an interesting question. Yeah. She had a 
a long-term friend who she lived with, you've probably seen around the house, Dorothy Burlingham yeah. mentioned. Yeah, you thought that was I a thought, good friend. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they lived together here in the house. Um, they had holiday homes together. They also wrote work together because Dorothy also was a trained analyst. Sounds like a GF. Well, <laughs> this is the thing. There's no, there's no evidence. There's no love letters. There's nothing like that. It did seem to be, I mean, who knows, but it did seem to be a platonic friendship that they were incredibly close we've got lots and lots of their archives and we we haven't found any proof and actually because Anna wrote very um, forthright letters to people and it it wasn't things weren't kept under wraps there was lots of rumors actually in the psychoanalytic community that they were lesbians Mm -hmm. and Anna didn't really like that because she said like we're very good friends like we're part we're a family together she's like a sister to me and so she was quite annoyed by the gossip I don't know how much stock you can put in the denial of the Mm. lesbianism because because of the time period Mm, yeah you know what I mean and also would people take her seriously if they'd known that she was gay or Or maybe that she didn't even admit it to herself and she was in this sort of really codependent and intense friendship but not interested in men and but wouldn't you know what I mean yeah I'm just making my own (laughs) theory yeah it's it's really difficult uh, you know it's difficult to know and it's really interesting to think about um and they certainly were incredibly close and they certainly were you know long lifelong yeah friends and partners yeah Yeah. and did is there any evidence of Dorothy marrying or having relationships Dorothy um before she met Anna Freud so Dorothy Burlingham was uh American she was actually part of the Tiffany Tiffany's of New York kind of family um she got married and she had children and then she came to Vienna with her children her husband also um for analysis so she met Anna through the analysis with Freud and then her her husband eventually killed himself and oh, wow. um, in 1938 and Anna Freud did kind of in a way become like the step parent to yeah. her children as they grew up because they were still quite small then but it's quite so a modern they, setup in a way isn't it it yeah. really is do you feel like you know her quite well having spent all this time in her space and reading her letters and yeah I think so and I think that's the nice thing about being in quite a small historic house museum um we've got a lot of personal items from uh, freud and his family and we've got things like um obviously letters and everything we've we've got things like photo albums and recipe books that martha sigmund's yeah. wife has written and and you wow. do kind of feel like you get to know the personalities as well as just yeah. the the big you know famous name yeah. sigmund freud not to be new agey but there's a good energy and I thought maybe there wouldn't be because I I thought it would be like all pokey and dark and Mm. and kind of ominous or weird or or that maybe it was an unhappy family or he was a bad father I don't know but it actually seems quite positive and loving and yeah and and particularly Anna Freud and Sigmund Freud were very very close um obviously she she was the only child of his to follow him into the world of psychoanalysis um but even from when she was very young she was very close to her father and he would make a lot of time in obviously he was working a lot but in kind of holidays and vacations they would spend time together yeah um and it was very it was a very close family it must be weird though if you're yeah if your dad's writing theories about the electric complex and stuff yeah they must have spoken about it I think they probably did. Um, It's something that would never happen now with analysts, but um, in the early days of psychoanalysis, Freud did actually analyse his daughter. What would you say your favourite spot is in the museum? 
Favourite spot is difficult, but I could definitely show you my favourite object down in Sigma Freud's study, and we can go there now. Great. Great. Okay, so we're just about to go into Freud's study. I feel starstruck. Yeah. This is exciting. Still expecting him to be in there. Because he actually saw people in here, didn't he? Clients. Okay, we're walking through the door. Wow. I love the kind of dusty bookshelves. That's exactly what I wanted to see. Yeah, dusty bookshelves. Look at his couch. Oh my God, there it is. Wait, two couches. Which is the one he died on? Which is the one? I reckon he died on that one. No, he died on that one. (laughs) So that's the the psychoanalytic couch. Um, Kind of cosy looking for a psychoanalytic couch. It is. It is cosy, piled with very nice cushions and covered with a lovely rich wow. carpet. Yeah. But the other couch we just have here for the next couple of months because we're commemorating the 80th anniversary of his death. So this is where he had this so-called invalid couch in the study where he died. Oh, wow. wow! So he didn't want to be in a bed. He was into just being in a study on a couch. Yeah. He well, he found it difficult to take the stairs later um, in life and also he yeah he wanted to be surrounded by his uh, books and antiquities yeah his antiquities so he has I read over 2,000 objects and antiques and Egyptian and Greek things yeah and cool so you said one of your favorite objects is in here yes or do we get to see that yes I did and it's over here so this object here I don't know if you can see it close up looks mad um so it's a balinese wood carving and it's really different to almost everything else in the collection Mm -hmm. because we've got so much ancient egyptian and uh, roman and uh, greek antiquities and this is from the 1930s from bali um and it is basically it's a kind of an impressionistic wood carving of a woman meditating kneeling down and above her there's this kind of disembodied head yeah pulling a really strange face and two, some two heads no two, two yeah there's a head and then there's her and then there's some legs and at the bottom there's snakes and scorpions and it's just so strange yeah it's so and strange. it does look almost like a dali yeah mm. yeah um, but we have no idea how freud got this yeah um how it made its way to this little office in north london wow that's amazing i love that Annie, do you remember in my bedroom I used to have um, <laughs> shelves with lots of little objects yeah. and I called them my pieces? Yeah. And they're they objects that I thought were quite powerful, like crystals or like stuff that my grandfather had or little brass animals and things. And they had a mystical mm. power. And then I actually had to put them away because I was like, I moved flat and I was like, they're too powerful. Oh, they're t- and what I'm, were they doing? I was just like stuck in the past. You know what I mean? So I put them away. But, but that's making you want to bring them back. Yeah, like this, I'm looking at like, these shelves that Freud had with all these little, yeah, magic objects. So I'll leave you to have a look around Freud's study. And my colleague Ivan will be back down in a couple of minutes to talk to you about Freud. Thank you great. so much. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Thank Thanks. you. I was too nervous to ask her if I could lie on the couch. Oh, yeah. Really Maybe we want... can ask Ivan. Let's ask Ivan. Uh, yeah. I feel like because it's behind one of these security Robes. barriers. We're not going to be allowed. Yeah. But, but then... Tell them that you've got a Channel 4 show coming out. Netflix, baby. Sorry, Netflix. <laughs> say Netflix, baby. Wait, I'm going to say um, that I'll take off my shoes and everything. <laughs> like, I don't... Will that help? Yeah, Will that help? Yeah, I just really want to sit on that couch. It's crazy how, in his lifetime, everything he said, people were like, yep, I guess that's that's the thing. Yeah, I can't think of anyone else who's come up with theories that have, like, stuck so outshone long. his. Yeah, the id, the superego... The yeah, ego. The ego. Um, I'm into him because um, 
he was pretty into bisexuality, but he he was aware that it was incompatible with some of his previous theories. Like, and you know what I mean? Because yeah. he he talked a lot about yeah male attraction to women and, and uh-huh. vice versa in like a, a very heteronormative way. But so he but he was really interested in bisexuality. And right before he died, he was going to write a massive paper on it and on like the ubiquitousness of bisexuality and how we all have like because we're hermaphroditic in the womb. He said yeah. that we all have the remnants of both sexes wow, yeah and so that's he, so interesting god i i wonder what he would have said on it well that that i just said the thing you just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you we Freud? all have late yeah, yeah. i'm Freud. but well, he, so he did start he, writing he, it yeah he talked about it a fair bit and and he was gonna write about it and i wish that he had because if that had become like the commonly accepted theory the way all his other theories did yeah and we might see it in a, in a totally different way or it would have really massively contributed to like the conversation around it at definitely that time. i feel like i've never heard like when you think about freud you don't think anything about bisexuality this is my favorite quote of his he said i do not in the least underestimate bisexuality i expect it to provide all future enlightenment wow, wow. i've been saying that to you for years yeah, you have actually my name's ivan ward I'm the Deputy Director of the Museum and the Head of Learning. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, We've been learning so much walking around. But, yeah, what can you tell us about this room, first of all? So this is where Freud saw his clients for a a year or so? It's the consulting room, but also the study. So you've got the couch and the desk in the same room, which is not how he had it in Vienna. Okay. So it kind of gives a slightly different sense of how he worked but I mean I'm sure you've realized it's very atmospheric very kind of you know really intense room and we were talking earlier about bisexuality is there much known about his views on that or it seemed to me like from what I've been reading that he started out with quite a binary way of thinking in terms of heterosexuality and men and women and then right before he died he was going to write about bisexuality and he became very interested in it well bisexuality was always was very important from the beginning i mean in fact he had a very close relationship to a to a friend wilhelm fleece and fleece was a a, quite an eccentric ear nose and throat doctor and freud had this long kind of relationship with, with him like a romantic relationship? Well, it was kind of not romantic, I don't think, in a sort of physically sexual sense, but it certainly had a you know, sort of homosexual tinge to it. It was Fleece who really emphasised the idea of bisexuality as a kind of constitutional thing. Everybody is male and female, basically. And then he accused Freud of stealing the idea and so you know oh, so wow. there's a kind of bit of an argument about that hmm. but this was in 1900 it's you know this was very early and, yeah. and Freud felt that bisexuality was absolutely central to his way of thinking you oh, know everybody is bisexual to begin yeah. with yeah, and then you about... go down one path or another path right right you know, so or you don't you stay bisexual or you don't I feel well, like he was much more progressive than his reputation yeah seems um, Ivan, I know it's behind <laughs> yeah. a barrier, but how much would I have to pay to just get to lie for one second on that sofa? Or do you think it's totally It's beyond, beyond something. No, the, the, pro- <laughs> the problem is, is that the, the, the couch is in quite a delicate 
condition. State, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we really don't. Heavy. We don't let people lie. On yeah, is that, really... is that a definite no then? It's to a the definite no. I'm afraid. <laughs> Fair enough. But although it's not my, you know, I mean, you'd have, you know, Brian, you might be able to say no instead of me. If that's oh, maybe what... I'll ask her too. <laughs> you can but ask her. It would be really bad if my legacy was that I broke. Yeah, this, exactly. The sofa. Maybe then another plaque would come up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, it is quite alluring. I've been here 32 years and I've never lied on the right, sofa. Right, yeah, fair enough. Do you feel personally connected to Freud? Are you interested on a personal level? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, so I've done a lot of reading of It's Freud. amazing how long his ideas have endured and how they're still considered kind of the well, foundations they're, they're, of psychoanalysis. Um, I mean, obviously, psychoanalysis is still going as a therapy and mm. the ideas have kind of infiltrated into all kinds of different areas yeah. so from sort of medical practice but also in the arts yeah. especially in literature you know in, in all kinds of areas of social life of kind of child rearing and so, so you know so there's a kind of lot of you know a big influence of his ideas I think. like he's sometimes criticized for for being quite male-centric or for but do you think that it, had he been alive now, his ideas would have evolved? Yeah, his ideas were always evolving. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, were, they were changing. Obviously, the relationship that Freud has to feminism is a kind of interesting mm. one historically. I mean, you know, on the one hand, he's somebody who listened to women and took, you know, what they were saying seriously. And then he created a profession where if you see the old photographs of the kind of congresses that psychoanalysis had compared to any other profession at that time, there were much more women involved. Mm. And so he you know, encouraged women and actually thought that maybe psychoanalysis is something that's more suited to women, mm. you know, in terms of the therapy, the idea of being sort of receptive, you know, the kind of state you have to be in to actually be receptive to another person's kind of distress and, and, and also their unconscious communications, you know. So it's a kind of obviously a big thing. And I suppose, you know, a lot of feminists have thought that Freud's ideas are really a kind of way of thinking about patriarchy. You know, how is it structured? How does it function? How does it endure over the years? What are the kind of things that have to be broken down in order to try and undermine that? And, of course, it's more difficult than people think. We've been wanting to ask you about, because I don't know where I read this or saw this, but that he was a massive cokehead. I think I'd put it and say he was an enthusiast. Right. right. <laughs> he was an enthusiast, but he was also a researcher. I mean, you've got to remember that Freud wrote The Interpretation of Dreams, which was the first book of psychoanalysis. And he wrote that when he was 44. That was when it was published. So he'd had a career beforehand. Mm. And he took drugs as part of the kind of research One of the the monographs Mm. he wrote was about the properties of cocaine. So cocaine was obviously, you know, cocaine was... prescribed it back then, right? Cocaine, obviously, wasn't illegal then. It was Mm. being, you know, it was being investigated by researchers as a kind of wonder drug, mm. you know. And, of course, cocaine was an ingredient in Coca-Cola. That's yeah, it the makes coca- it feel you know. so good. It's a pick-me-up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly, it's a pick-me-up. Yeah. And Freud, at one point, was dropping liquid cocaine into his oh eye. Oh, my God, Freud. Yeah, well, except <laughs> that the, the, where the person who became famous in relation to cocaine was a man who, ironically, was called Cola, who 
discovered that cocaine could be used as an anaesthetic for eye operations. Because of the numbness. Exactly, because you can make, you know, because if you're doing an operation on the eye, you've got to stop it moving. Right. Which is very hard to do. Your eyes move all the time. So did it have so, any detrimental effects? Oh, it must have. He must well, yeah, because later on he discovered that it itself was addictive and so on. Yeah. And it had, you know, and, and didn't he and, die of mouth cancer? Smoking, but that has to do with Freud's main addiction, which of course was smoking. Right, you know, that's where that's the serious. Yeah, because he loved the cigars. Too. Yeah. yeah, he particularly wanted to deny himself his pleasures. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, yeah. he had doctors and friends kind of trying to get him to give up smoking. Right, you know? okay. And even when after he had, you know, he had thirty operations. Really? On his job, you know, I mean, 16 years. You oh, know, my God. Horrible prosthesis he had to wear that caused all these ulcers and, you know, pain the whole time. And then he'd try and hold his mouth open with a peg to put a cigar in. Really? You know, like, oh. you know he obviously was addicted to, really addicted. to tobacco. You know, the things he said about his addiction were more or less what anyone says. You know, my I'd dad smoked, it never caused him any harm. You know, oh, that really? sort of thing. You know, it's the only Analyze thing that calms that. me Analyze down. That. You know, I could only, you know, I can't work unless I've got, you know, it's all these sorts wow, of so things. He's, you know, so he's kind of, you know, just allowing his pleasures. And I mean, he called the doctors, you know, when they tried to stop him, he said, he, he called it bourgeois moderation. Right. Stopping smoking, you know. But that's the, the definition of addiction, is doing something compulsively despite yeah, it doing despite harm. Despite the fact that, and that you yeah. know what it, what it is. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So interesting, thank you. Where would you suggest that we go now in the museum? Well, you, we do have a couple of videos that we show, including a film from the 1930s, so some sort of home movies. Oh, before great. It. great. Should we go so, upstairs? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Thanks, Ivan. What you are going to see are home movies meant for family use and not for public viewing. Therefore, you will have to excuse all the deficiencies which are quite inseparable from ventures of this kind. I've just gone into the uh, film room. I'm trying to be quiet because there's people in here. Yeah. Um, so we've got some kind of... Is this home footage playing? Oh, yeah, there's a little thing here. OK, it says this collection of films features interviews and commentary by Anna Freud. Also interviewed is Edmund Engelman, the photographer who recorded Freud's home and offices. Huh. Freud looks healthy. I don't see evidence of these 30 operations on his mouth. Yeah, I guess he wasn't as ill when this was being filmed. He looks good. You fancy him? I kind of fancy him, yeah. Yeah, he was probably quite charismatic. I bet he was super charming, yeah. Yeah, so these were filmed, it says, in... 1938. So that's actually quite close to when he died. Yeah. Yeah, just before they fled Austria to come to London. My family only has one home video of me, and it's me eating a bag of, like, Cheetos or Cheesy Puffs. Oh, yeah. And uh, someone tries to take them away from me, and I burst into tears. That's, like, the only video. What about you? Something to do with attachment. Yeah. Uh, I can't actually remember. I think... I don't know if we even have any videos anymore. Hmm. Maybe my parents threw them away. Yeah. I'm sure we used to. I've definitely had like videos of me in school plays and stuff. I want to see it. Yeah, you can. Were you I, in, if I find them. Were you in a lot of school plays? Yeah, I was in a school play called Ocean World, where I played a bit of rubbish. Was that an original piece? I think it by was. One of the yeah. teachers. There was yeah. a group, a big group of most people were the octopus, and the elite got to be a bit of rubbish. <laughs> 
So I knew that I, I'd made it. Yeah. May? Yeah. Should we go and visit another museum together? Yeah. What, today? Uh, no, we're getting our nails done today. We're getting our nails done another day. I'd like to go to um, the Mary Rose in Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. That is a very good museum. I've been there before. Yeah, and, we could do that. Um, well, we should just see each other more. Yeah, let, we could just hang out um, yeah. off mic. Yeah. So quick summation of our time here. Did you have a nice time? Yeah, I've loved it. And I'm, to think that it was down the road from me when I was little and I've never been in, I'm, I'm glad that I finally can tick it off. It's yeah. been really interesting and just such a nice house to visit. Um, I've learned a lot about Anna, yeah. who regrettably I knew nothing about before. And it sounds like she had a fascinating life and was very kind of progressive for her time. A real pioneer. Yeah. A real hero. Exactly. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I had a wonderful time. I thought Bryony and I have been were amazing. Yeah, they were so really, really helpful and interesting, definitely. So cool to actually go into Sigmund Freud's office that and was see the, the chair, the sofa. I know, they wouldn't let me lie on it, but um, it was wicked to be near it. Thanks for listening to Meet Me at the Museum with me, Mae Martin. And me, Annie McGraw, at the Freud Museum in London. If you liked this episode of the podcast, please rate, subscribe or tell a friend. And if you have a National Art Pass, you'll get free entry or discounts to museums all around the UK.